Hello all, welcome to the Pyramid Podcast where three lads discuss all things the English Football Pyramid. On today's episode we'll have a review of the Champs League action with mixed results for the English sides, a preview of the weekend's Premier League action including Wolves, Spurs and Chelsea, Man City. We'll look at the main fixtures from the EFL including the Pyramid Pod Cup holders Southampton taking on Inform West Brom. Laura will talk us through Yeovil's local midweek derby win at Torquay and we'll finish with the Pyramid Pod treble. I'm your host Alex Murphy and once again I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Uh, boys, we'll start with the Champs League and we'll start in Copenhagen last night. Copenhagen 4, Man United 3. Uh, another disastrous night for Man United. But, Loro, another game uh, kind of overshadowed by VAR or talking points around VAR. Just get your take on the uh, first the red card decision for Marcus Rashford, but also the penalties in the game as well. Yeah, I'll be pretty quick on it because I'm sick of that talking about VAR. But, but both penalties were wrong. But the, all three of those decisions were wrong. So the first... Uh, handball were judged against Maguire was never a handball. The one that Man United got was even less of a penalty. That was an absolute disgrace of a decision. Probably one of the worst penalties I've ever seen given. And this probably shows how bad those decisions were. I thought the Rashford red card was probably the closest one to being right. But even that was miles away from being a red card, to be honest with you. The reason I thought that was probably the closest is because... I know people say that like, the game's gone and we shouldn't be seeing red cards for that sort of thing. And I agree with that. But we've had VAR for a couple of years now. And there's a chance of a freeze frame with their studs on someone's ankle or shin, then you're giving the official something to think about. And with that in mind, it's quite careless and it's quite lazy. And I know it's sort of he's trying to protect the ball, but his foot does go quite wide. Now, I don't think it's a red card because there's clearly no malicious intent there at all. And it's probably a foul yellow card at best. But he, nowadays, if you're going to put your studs in a position where you don't get the ball, you're going to land on someone's ankle, you're giving the official something to think about. And nine times out of ten at the moment, people are getting sent off for it. So I thought both penalty decisions were wrong and it was never a red card. But I'm not as outraged about the red card as most people are because I think players need to start thinking about what they're doing a little bit more and what the video assistant referee is going to see and say to the referee upon replays. But all in all, complete farce again. I, I think with the red card, the one thing for me is like the penalty shouts, everyone's in universal agreement that they're soft and rubbish. But even in the the TNT sports setup, you've got the commentator and Robbie Savage, who are both like, yeah, it's a red card. And then you've got Owen Hargreaves and Paul Scholes in the studio who are saying that it's not. So it's like one of them where nobody quite knows what the law is or think they know what the law is, but they're like, oh, that shouldn't be the way football's played. So I don't think there can be a massive amount of complaints on that because people just don't seem to know themselves, do they? Like some people Look, think it's a red You just said it there. That's, you've got two sets of people. You've got the people that are now conditioned to seeing these freeze frames of studs on ankle and everyone knows the last one was a red card, the one before that was a red card, Curtis Jones was a red card, that's a red card. And then you've got the Jamie Carragher's that like the game's gone, that's never a red card. In the 90s and the 2000s, you'd have been laughed at for suggesting the red card. Do you know what I mean? And we yeah. need to find out what a red card is. And it should be, in that situation... What's he been sent off of? Dangerous and foul play or violent conduct? Surely there's got to be some intent or maliciousness in there for it to be ascended off. And it's not like he's stopping a goal-scoring opportunity or something. He's he's at the other end. So it's never a red card. There's never any intent. But I do think it's a bit careless from Rashford, that one. Because his leg does go a bit wider. than It's protecting the ball. And then there's protecting, you know, a five-yard circumference around you, which looked like he was trying to do. So... Yeah, not outraged, but that one's a red card. But the, the the penalty against Copenhagen for Man United, I think that's one of the worst penalties I've seen ever given. The worst penalty I've ever seen given is the one that Man United um was it yeah, the one that Man United got against PSG away in the Champions League four or five years ago, where Rashford hit a free kick, mate, he jumped and the ball was behind him and it hit his arm and it was given. This is the second worst one. So at least you're getting a bit of luck. Yeah, United are complaining about the uh, decisions. Tomo, just quickly before we talk about United's kind of place in the group, there was a couple of other ones which weren't kind of picked up on the TV coverage um, in much detail, but have been spoken about post-game. And that was a elbow on Hoyland by a player that was already booked, uh, whether you think there was anything in that. And also then the... Uh, they scored their first goal and I didn't even pick up on it, but it looks like there was a player kind of stood between the last defender and Onana 
which we've seen other instances and debates about whether that would be offside or not. Anything in either of them for you or just United fans kicking off for the for sake of it? But yeah, clutching at straws really, to be honest. Like, this is the problem with how like the conversation around VAR has got is now we're, we are re-refereeing the game. Well, the VAR are re-refereeing every incident in the game and then we're re-refereeing it um, in our chats now. It's like ridiculous. Like that elbow, it's a 50-50. Like it might, may have been a booking, but just because of, like the ref didn't give it. So that's it. End of discussion. Um, the same with the offside one. I think what we should be talking about as a United fan is the fact that we completely collapse every at every sign of adversity. Like last night, the first 40 minutes or so before Rashford's red card, we were brilliant. And it was our best yeah, I agree. and it was our best game of the season. And then Rashford gets sent off. Whether you want to blame Rashford for that for being careless, which I agree, Laurie, definitely was careless, or you want to blame the referee for making a decision because probably it was soft, you're still 10 versus 11, 2 nil up with 50 minutes to go. And United conceded two before half time. And it's like, and it just seems like any situation within game where it doesn't go United's way, we just don't have the leaders or the players on the pitch to be able to deal with it. And actually, we've conceded, we conceded two in those seven minutes before half time last night. And, um, and I think we conceded twice, obviously, with the third goal and the fourth goal in quick succession. Again, and that's happened so many times this season, and that's more of a worry to me than the decisions that Ten Hag was talking about after the game. Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. And we talk about that with United every week about them soft centred and falling apart. So we're not going to uh, labour the point. I just want to finish with that, Tomo. On United now, sit bottom of that group. Probably looks like they need to go and win away at Turkey, which they've never done before. And I don't think this squad has got the uh, the bottle, as we've just touched on, to do anyway. And then beat Bayern Munich at home, which a couple of people have called out that Bayern Munich might have won the group and played second string. So again, I think clutching at straws. So in my opinion, it's either third or fourth for United. And as a United fan, would you rather third and have a bit of a knockout stage in the Europa League uh, and have those Thursday night fixtures or would you rather completely go out and then see if we can get some form going in the league where you're playing once a week a bit like Spurs are and um, try and salvage top five and try again in Champions League next year Nah um, no disrespect to your question but I think it's ridiculous to even assert that we'd want to come fourth Um, to be honest a Europa League win might be our best chance of qualifying for the Champions League Again, yeah, so and as a United fan, selfishly, I I want to watch Man United on Thursday. I don't don't want to watch Liverpool on a Thursday, I don't want to watch Villa on a Thursday. If United happen to be playing on Thursday, it makes Thursday better for me. Um, but if you're Eric Ten Hag, um, and the management, you're saying, and if third or fourth is an option, you're definitely saying that 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 Europa League sort of route to to the Champions League, um, qualification is more viable at the minute, it seems, than actual top four itself. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I I agree with you, Tomo. I just know that there are people who would rather not be playing Thursday fixtures and would rather be trying to concentrate on Champs League next year. I get your point that that's another trophy opportunity and route into the Champs League, but you've got the likes of Liverpool in there, Brighton, who we'd lose to every game. And that's before we even talk about some of the sides from around Europe and teams that will finish third in their group. You might have one of Newcastle, Milan, Dortmund, PSG dropping down. So, I don't think United would necessarily be favourites like we have been in previous years to go and win that Europa League. So, no, but, um, but you need to be in a competition to win it. You can't worry about who else is in it before yeah. you know. Like, do you know what yeah, I mean? You'll have much more chance of getting in the Champions League if you're in the Europa League and the Prem rather than just the Prem. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but you know, that's all um, semantics because we have to go and get a result in one of those two games and results other way. Go our, go our way. But what looked like a fairly easy group when the draw was made or one we'd be comfortable with qualifying alongside uh, Bayern Munich with, we're now sat bottom off with three points from four games. So there's nothing to say that we will finish third uh, 
or second in that group. Just touched on uh, Newcastle there, and they might drop down into the Europa League or finish bottom of theirs. I've seen an interesting debate that was on TalkSport before the game, and obviously Newcastle went on to lose 2-0 in Dortmund. Um, is is failing to qualify out of that group for Newcastle, would it be seen as a failure? Um, now, I think when the, the draw was first made, it looked like the group of deaths, so people would say it wouldn't. Newcastle haven't been in the Champs League for 20-plus years, but Loro, after getting a point in Milan and then winning at home at PSG, Dortmund obviously aren't the side of old, but Newcastle lost both of their games. Do you think that that would be looked at by, well, fans, but more importantly, the owners of Newcastle as a, a failure for Eddie Howe? No. Obviously, it's a failure in terms of you failed to get out the group, but the bigger, wider picture is that they weren't even expecting to be in the Champions League this year. And to go into the Champions League and into a sort of as it's been coined, group of death with AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund and PSG, who are all sort of European giants in their own right, and have some of the nights that they've had in that victory against PSG, and they're still not out of it, are they, at the moment, um, I think is more representative of progress than it is failure, for sure. Next year, they want to be in the Champions League again, and they want to qualify from the group. But at this stage, in the sort of tenure of Eddie Howe and the progression of Newcastle since the, the ownership have come in, I think being in the Champions League and having big Champions League nights against big teams, which they have and they're having, and being competitive as well, is very, very good. No way you can, I don't think, coin that as failure, in my opinion. Come on. Yeah, no chance. Look, questions like that on TalkSport are, are there for a reason, aren't they? To get people to call in, etc. But And actually, I think TalkSport and a couple of the people on there... Um, are quick to jump on the sort of Saudi bashing bandwagon a little bit. Um, but like, take it into context, like Dortmund, you say they're not the Dortmund of old, and I, and I do agree with you, they're not like the Jurgen Klopp Dortmund, but they were one game away from winning the league last year ahead of Bayern. And um, they've got a great record at home and they they put in an absolute shift at St. James's Park. And then you've, got, you've obviously got AC Milan who qualified for the Champions League semi-final last year and PSG, we all know about them. Um, so no, I don't, I don't even think finishing fourth and not qualifying for the Europa League would, would be deemed a failure. And I agree with everything that Laura said other than my point about the, the Saudi bashing thing, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, other results for English side, so more positive. Arsenal won 2-0 um, against Sevilla. Um, Saka obviously starred, but he went down injured towards the end. So uh, be interested for this weekend, uh, whether he plays. Maybe Arteta will be thinking about the international break and being like, oh, yeah, you went down injured, Saka. You have to stay here and not go away with England. Well, you know, they're playing Burnley at home on the weekend. So that's a game where if I'm if I'm Arteta, I'm saying to Saka, sit that one out and then you're sitting out the international break. Yeah. 100%. Every time he seems to be on the pitch now, it's like he'll star for 70 minutes and then Arsenal fans are almost like calling from the stands to bring him off and then he sort of sits down or goes down, but then he's back for the next week. So I don't know if he's just exhausted already. Well, do you know what? I've seen online a couple of, not not criticisms of Saka, but um, observations, shall I say, that his performances have dropped and the only sort of explanation I can get from that is he's not fully fit and he's playing through injuries and obviously when you play through injuries even if it just takes away sort of five ten percent of your game you're not as sharp as you were before so he's clearly playing with something and um this two-week international break might be a blessing in disguise for him personally as well yeah definitely and then uh man city won three nil versus uh young boys harlan scored a brace um john stones went <laughs> went down injured again and think that he's going to be out for a period of time. But um, they're firm bookies' favourites to retain the Champions League. I think Bayern Munich are next, next in the bookies' market. But, um, Loro, do you reckon City can go back-to-back, -back, just retain the Champions League again and, and the Prem? Yeah, definitely. But I, I don't think they... They definitely can. I don't think they will win the Champions League for some reason, though. I think it throws up sort of special nights and, you know, Liverpool reloaded are back in it. And I think Arsenal might have a save for the first time and... Yeah, I I feel like um, they'll get far again and buy Munich. Sorry, Liverpool aren't in it this year, are they? They're in the Europa no. League. But Arsenal this year, I think, might have a little bit more of a say. And um, buy Munich, like you say, with Harry Kane flying, 
he's gone there to win the Champions League, I think, Harry Kane, because he's not gone there to win the Bundesliga, has he? They've done that for the last 10 years in a row. So I think they're going to be all legs in that basket and that will pose a very difficult threat, particularly when they'll meet at some point over two legs or in the final. So, of course, City can do it, but I hope that someone else does it, to be honest with you. I'd rather see Bayern Munich win it than Man City. Yeah, I would as well, actually. And actually, on that, we'll move on to Harry Kane. Scored two more goals uh, last night. There was a stage where they were drawing and United were drawing and then United scored a penalty and Harry Kane scored a brace and suddenly looked a bit rosier for United again in the group. And you're just thinking Harry Kane's unstoppable. But let me just paint a picture for you, Tomo. Harry Kane scoring goals, probably going to be top goal scorer in the Bundesliga, scoring goals in Champs League. If they went on to win, that would probably be uh, top scorer in that. And then going into the Euros for England uh, for the summer where he'll be captain. And if they did well in that tournament, would probably have grabbed some goals. He'd have to then be looking at, have one one eye on that Ballon d'Or for next year, which I know we rubbish last year, but suddenly if there was an Englishman, English captain in the running for it, I think we'd all be be able to get behind that. Yeah, look, if if that happens, then we'd, we'd, the Ballon d'Or would be signed, sealed, delivered. You wouldn't need to have a conversation about Haaland or Messi or anything like that. Um, he's on a bit of a, uh, a hot streak, isn't he? He scored 10 goals in his last five games, which is, yeah, he's making... But then I, I said this to my brother last night, he came over to watch the United game, we were talking about Kane and saying he's making the Bundesliga look like some sort of farmer's league, but the reality is he's doing it in the Champions League as well. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to see, obviously, as an Englishman, that he's done well. Um, but there is that small thing of the Harry Kane curse that we're not talking about, and... Bayer Leverkusen are flying in the Bundesliga, so potentially Xabi Alonso could nick a title off them. And then, obviously, we all know how hard it is to win the Champions League, so that's not a given. And England's uh, England, so, yeah. Maybe jump in a few, a few hoops um, with that question there, Snot. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I agree with it, actually. I don't think you are jumping hoops, because I the more you think about that, I mean, Eng- England have won the Euros next year, that's a given. And Harry Kane's going to be the top scorer in the Bundesliga and it's very likely that Bayern Munich win it. So all of those things for me are pretty much odds on. So he's going to have a title, the biggest international tournament under his belt and be one of the top scorers in Europe. Yeah, I think that's a really good bet and I'll probably whack a significant amount of money on it. Just a quick one before we move on, actually, um, about England winning the Euros next summer. I wanted to touch on a conversation we had um previous about potentially what would happen if Jude Bellingham got injured and I know this is going to sound silly but I'd be really interested to see if he's in the England squad at 2pm and that's Ruben Loftus-Cheek because he had an absolute worldie against PSG in the week and by all accounts he's been great for AC Milan this season and he looks like that type of player Um, he hasn't featured really has he ever in the England squad I don't think so Sort of a long he, shot, but he's he's been great for AC Milan. Rumelov just cheat went to the Russia World Cup in 2018, but well, I can guarantee you, and I'll bet you any money and give you any odds you want, that Rumelov just cheat will not be in the England squad at 2 p.m. today. Guaranteed. Just one thing on that: we spoke about Saka, obviously, and Arteta might be like, "You're not going anywhere with the England squad." Is there any news on Madison, Tomo, from Monday Night Football? Because obviously he went down off the ball with his ankle. Just that he's but, not training. Okay, so I'd imagine that he's not going to play on Saturday and then Ange will be like, you're not going with the England squad either. So, you know, which if he's injured is, is the right thing to do. There's no nothing wrong with that. But that's a couple couple uh, names there, is it? Is Bellingham, he, was he dislocated his shoulder, was it? Is it? I guess he's going to be out for a period of time. So there will be a couple wild card potential uh, spaces in the next England squad, especially as, as we've already qualified, might be a chance for him to have a look at a few. So, um, yeah, I, I'll take I'll take odds on Loftus-Cheek, Laura, and have a fiver on it. What odds we give me? Evens. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, well, we'll see. That that will be out shortly, the uh, England squad, and we will um, we'll maybe reflect on that on Monday if there's any significant uh, names in there. Boys, we move on to the Premier League. We just touched on um, Madison and Spurs. And I think, obviously, it feels like quite a long time ago now, but be uh, amiss of us not to touch on Monday Night Football before previewing uh, Tottenham and Chelsea's next fixtures. Um, Tottenham go to Wolves at 12.30, but 
uh, Tomo a disastrous night for Spurs in regards to red cards, injuries and going on to, to lose a game against Chelsea? Yeah, it was really, but it was. I think it was more of a disastrous night for um, the sort of the game as a whole, like football um, as a being, if you will, because I know it's basically a TV product now, isn't it? But there was 15 minutes out of time in the first half. And imagine if you were playing that game. I, well, For those 15 minutes, you're basically stood around waiting for a VAR decision to, to happen. And I thought it... I felt sorry for the fans in the ground. I thought it was shocking. People saying that game was entertaining. I think it was entertaining if you're on, if you're watching it from the sofa and you can see everything that's going on. Um, but if you're in the ground, it's, it it would have been terrible. Um, on the game itself, yeah. Look, when it's not your night, it's not your night, and um, it certainly wasn't Tottenham's night um, on Monday. Even though I thought Chelsea looked terrible and probably the worst team to ever win a game of football 4-1, and the worst striker to ever score a hat-trick in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a shame, really, all of the incidents and the way the way VAR is now and the culture around referees and it, like every decision is scrutinised and every decision is, is um, well, for lack of a better, another better word, scrutinised. Um, yeah. I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest. And, Laurie, we'll, we'll look at Tottenham and their fixture with Wolves. Obviously, we've touched on how strong Wolves have been in, in spells this year, maybe not always been on the right side of um, of results and VAR decisions. But do you think Spurs can bounce back in that fixture Saturday lunchtime with Romero suspended, Van de Ven out injured, um, Udogi suspended, Madison not playing? That really stretches them, doesn't it? Yeah, we've spoke about in the past what, what's going to happen when they hit a run and they're getting injuries. And I think the biggest disaster of Monday night for Spurs wasn't the result, but losing all of those players. Um, but one thing I will say is last week, Ange came out and said it was everywhere in the media. It doesn't work when you have 24 world-class players. You need to find the right harmony and chemistry within the squad. And what that generally lends itself to is whoever comes in for whoever goes out is normally drilled and has bought into the philosophy that the manager wants. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a pretty good Spurs on Saturday. And what also happens is those players that are coming in are the ones that are, have been adjudged to have been sort of for second in line for their position. They're going to want to be fighting for their starting places. And I just think, you know, we'll see what Ange is about a little bit more. You know, we talked about his checkpoints this season. What's going to happen now that his, half his defence is decimated and Madison's out and Richarlison's out as well, I think, having some surgery. So, lots of injuries. Let's see what he can do away from home at a really tricky Wolves ground where Man City have already lost this season. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Spurs play quite well and come out of a win. I'd love to see it um, and bounce back and shut everyone up who's saying the title charge is over because they've got a few injuries. But what I will say, just to add to Monday night very quickly, is I think the biggest red card of the season and probably the last couple of seasons is one that wasn't given. The two-footed a doggy challenge um, in like the 20th minute or whatever it was, I agreed with Gary Neville. Like because we're so, everyone knows that you don't lunge in with two feet in this in this sport anymore. In the last 20 years, it looked so weird. It was like did, it was like did we just see that right? And then on the replay, Udogi literally flies in with two feet off the floor. And like I don't want to see red cards as much as anyone else. And VAR seems like giving them, but they didn't give that. And I couldn't believe it. I thought that was the biggest red card of the season. And he ends up getting sent off anyway, and the same with Romero, who possibly could have got sent off before as well. So it was a mad game. But yeah, I couldn't believe Doggy wasn't sent off for that that two-footed challenge. But maybe that's me becoming soft. Well, the, the only reason he didn't get sent off there is because he doesn't make contact, right? Otherwise, it's a, it's a if he makes any sort of contact, it's a red straight away. So... Yeah, yeah, but if he make, if he makes contact, then the Chelsea player's in a wheelchair. The whole point of not going in two-footed is because it's dangerous play. Yeah. True. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. just thought that was a red card. It, like he gets the ball, but like it, it's not good enough just to get the ball. You you have to be in control of your body and what it's doing. And luckily, the Chelsea player wasn't in the way. And obviously, that's why they've not given a red card. But I think justice was done in the end because for me, that was the biggest red card I've seen. If I was in the VAR, I'd say no. That you, you must have missed that. Whoever the referee was, you must have missed that because he's flown in with two feet there. That rule that rule got brought in literally 20 years ago. Yeah, there's there's somewhere like we're like now, oh, we're not sure on the rules. So, you know, it's like 
flip of a coin but there's somewhere you watch and you just watch football and you know when something looks wrong or looks right don't you and it's yeah. like and that was one of them that, that was bang on one of them where you just as soon as he flies in with it you're like oh crikey he, he's gonna go there just but on again, the just on the Wolves game um, yeah I agree with Laura I do think it's gonna be that's a really tough one to call one thing that isn't tough to call at the minute is Huang He Chan's form um, he scored or assisted in his last five Premier League games so if you're a betting man and you could and there is a market for that, I'd put put a couple of quid on that one. Um, but you're right, Laurie. It, it's we keep saying, don't we? Every time we talk about Tottenham in the Premier League, it's like another test or another thing to tick off the bot, um, the tick sheet. Um, and now it's a case of can you can you cope with the injuries and can the replacements like your Eric Dia or Ben Davis, whoever it might be for think, can they be as good as um, the starting 11? So a really intriguing game. And I'm actually quite glad that's on TV. And very quickly, lads, we haven't touched on this as well. There was a lot of, I know we've pushed for time, but there was a lot of talk about how Ange Postacoglu set up against the 11 men at Chelsea when he had nine men and played like everyone on the, on the halfway line almost as a high line. I just want to throw my hat in the ring and say I absolutely loved it. I love managers that when they're against adversity still try and make stuff happen in the game and still give the opposition something to think about. Um, I remember Leeds playing Man City a couple of years ago at the Etihad in our first season of the Premier League under Marcelo Bielsa. We won the game 2-1, but Liam Cooper got sent off in like the 25th minute and we kept on going and maybe not playing exactly like that, but we kept on with the principles of Bielsa ball and we won the game. And you're not going to win a game unless you try and give the opposition something to think about. And people that said, well, if Tottenham did that against Man City, they'd get picked apart. Well, everyone gets picked apart against Man City regardless, whether they're playing defensively, pragmatically, or whether they're trying to attack. So you might as well go on the front foot and try and get something away. So love that from Big Ange, and I want to see it again in the future. Albeit, you won't generally see a team down to nine men. Yeah, fair fair assessment. Um so just touched on Tottenham, uh, the other side in that game, Chelsea, half four on Sunday, they host uh, Man City. Uh, Tomo, do you think Chelsea can get two two big wins in a week uh, or do you fancy City to go and steamroll Chelsea? Yeah, uh, no chance. I just think City batter them. Chelsea were appalling and, and naive is probably a polite way of saying it, really. Um, and any... Like I, I do agree with you, Laura. There, when you said you like Postecoglou's tactics was um, admirable, but the reality of it is, if if, if he was playing anyone other than Chelsea, um, they would have got battered. Um, albeit they did kind of on scoreline terms get battered in the end, four-one. But um, yeah, I can't see anything other than a comfortable City win here. Laura, anything for Chelsea? No, no, and it's all very well, Paul Merson. Um, coming out and saying, yeah, obviously, he made that comment, didn't he, that he would be shocked if Chelsea didn't win because he, uh, they like it when teams come on to him. But I don't think he foresaw the two red cards, did he? You know, 70, 70 minutes of the game being played with 10 and another 45 with nine. So he could put memes of Kevin James with his hands in his pocket all he wants. I don't think that one was in the script. Um, and Chelsea looked appalling. And, and like Tigo just said, I, I don't normally want Man City to win, but I, I want Man City to beat Chelsea just because they annoyed me so much on on um on Monday night. There's one of those annoying hat-tricks you'll ever see from Nicholas Jackson who doesn't deserve any credit. And just a quick one on that fixture as well. Since the Champions League final, that obviously Chelsea won with that Havertz goal, um, they've played each other six times. Man City have won all six and Chelsea haven't scored a goal. Yeah, I, I think clean sweep for City there. Tell you what's interesting, actually, and obviously the England squad set to come out is whether uh, Raheem Sterling, who has hit a little bit of form, will be back in in that squad uh, this time. Um, I've seen a little bit of speculation that he might be included and be taken out of the uh, wilderness by Southgate, but we will wait and see on that. But yeah, Sterling versus Cole Palmer against Man City, maybe a little something in that there. But other than that, I think um, I think all agreed that City will will tear Chelsea apart at Stamford Bridge. Um, Move on to Arsenal versus Burnley. So, I think, Laurie, I want to come to you first. I know we've spoke about Vincent Company a bit and they just keep losing week on week. I, I, I think we've said before some of their fixtures, he's not going to be judged on uh, away at Arsenal, but surely pressure mounting for him to get a result at some stage in the next couple of game weeks. Yeah, um, it, not this week, though. It, it, they, they're not going to go to... Unless there's an absolute 
miracle. They're not going to go to the Emirates and, and win that game. And I think it's one that a couple of weeks ago, Arsenal played Sheffield United and won 5 0, and they were able to rest a couple of players. I think talk about maybe wanting to rest Saka just before the international break so they can keep him behind like they did against Man City for the last one. You might see that happen. But Arsenal have got way too much quality, I think, to be troubled by Burnley in terms of the score, in terms of the result. There might be a goal in it for Burnley the way they play, but I don't see their uh, change of fortunes coming this side of the international break. And just looking at their fixtures, when they get back, West Ham, Sheffield United, Wolves, Brighton, Everton, Fulham, that's the one where Vinnie Company's got to start picking up some points. And although some of those teams sound hard, it is the Premier League. That's why you're in the top league in the world, because you're going to play difficult teams every week. So, yeah, I think um, not Saturday, but certainly when they come back in the lead up to Christmas, he's going to have to find some form. I, I do think sometimes, though, um, and Tomo, interested with you on this, but like they kind of wait for a manager to then lose those games that they should be competitive in before going, oh, no, you know, we do need to get rid of him. It's like if they do lose at Arsenal and they've obviously got off to this horrendous start, you've got a couple of weeks of international break where I'd imagine not too many Burnley players are going away. So a new manager could um, kind of get some time on the training ground, get them ready for fixtures that can be won rather than them having that run of fixtures, losing them, then company goes and suddenly they're back to having like Liverpool, Spurs and Arsenal in a run of three fixtures. Um, I do think sometimes chairmen sort of dawdle a bit on decisions like that. Uh, yeah, but the reality of the Burnley situation is I even I think even if they lose their next 10 games, they should keep company. So, and I think... I hope and I think that the Burnley hierarchy think the same because they're building something and they're building something with, with company. He signed a five-year deal in the summer. Um, so, and if you back your manager and then you've got to back him. And we spoke about Burnley quite a lot um, in terms of their player um, turnover and their slow start to last season. And then they got into a bit of form. So, Hopefully it happens for them at some point because I do like Vinny Company, even though he's the former City um, legend or is a City legend. And the, a little quirk about the head-to-head -head record, I just had a look. Arsenal have only won one of the last five games against Burnley, um, which you wouldn't thought of, would you? Which is obviously the Sean Dyche's Burnley, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't see, can't see Burnley getting anything here. Obviously, Arsenal being at the Emirates, I think they dominate and win comfortably. Just on that, Murph, on the managers and the, maybe the, the ownerships dawdling, I heard Simon Jordan say the other day when he was at Palace back in like 2003, 2004, they got promoted to the Premier League. They had Ian Dowie as the manager. And he decided he, he didn't think Ian Dowie was the man to take him forward. Even though he brought him up, he didn't think he'd be in the business of staying in the Premier League. So he started shopping around and see what was available whilst Dowie was still there. But nothing was there that was worth doing. So he stuck with Dowie. So... I'm not saying this is necessarily happening at Burnley, but you never know. There might be managers out there whose chairman have already decided that they're going, but and they're just waiting. They're seeing who's available and they're just waiting for the dominoes to fall in the right order before actually making the decision. Yeah, I I completely get that. I think my final point just on company will be as well is that sometimes you stick with a manager and you get relegated with them because they'll be able to build and and kind of come back stronger, um, but they were pretty dominant in the championship anyway, weren't they? I can't see that them dropping down to the championship. They're going to then improve again and have a better season in the championship than what they did. They were fairly dominant anyway. So it's like, what then happens there? You go back down, win the championship again, and then come have another crack at the Premier League. I just don't, I can't see they'd afford him that time. But Murph, um, Murph, it's a really, that like you look at their signings, it's a really young squad, really young. And like the Coleo show and that um Amduni, is it? These guys are really young. They look they sort of show in good qualities in, in spells in games, but not not doing it over 90 minutes. And actually, I actually think I completely disagree with what you just said. I think maybe a season in the championship will do those players a world of good. And then when they come up to the Premier League the next time round, which I'd fully expect them to do if they keep company, then that's when you go, okay, now we can be a proper Premier League team. Well, we'll see, won't we? Hopefully we're sat here in November 2025 and companies got them flying in the Prem and they've got one eye on Europe. But uh, yeah, we will see. Um, another fixture, we won't, we've obviously spoke about United in the Champs League already. Um, home to Luton looks like probably the best fixture on paper that United could have had up until Luton went and put that display in against uh, Liverpool. I know old Captain Chaos missed a few chances and Liverpool should have won comfortably, but 
Um, just very quickly, Tomo, a game that United need to win and Ten Hag needs to win as well before international break. Yeah, yeah, that international break will be long as fuck if we don't win that game and Ten Hag doesn't win that game. Um, but it's not really much to add in terms of analysis. I just think we win that game anyway. Because um, Luton, uh, they're not a great team. Um, probably their their most um, or their biggest chance of getting anything from the game is doing what they do, just sit back and then hit us on a counter-attack with those players we spoke about on Monday's pod. Because um, obviously it was good performance against Liverpool. But no, I think I, I fully expect United win there. And Laura, you're normally good for a little uh, outside call on a team going away and getting a result at a big club. Uh, any any hope for Luton to do that at three o'clock on Saturday? No, because they're not playing a particularly big club, but I do fancy Man United to win. Right, we'll move on. Thanks for that. Uh, just one final thing on Man United. I've seen um, that, uh, is it reluctant Nico? Is it Alec, Alan Nixon, Laura? Alan that, Nixon, yeah. yeah, he said that Jim Ratcliffe wants to be in for Monday uh, at Man United and running football operations as of Monday. So uh, if Tenag loses this weekend and then um, Ratcliffe and um, I think Dave Brailsford's going to be part of that setup as well are in charge for Monday, they might be having a few conversations about Eric if he don't get all three at the weekend. But how just does, how does that just work quickly, with So just quickly though, on on that Jim Ratcliffe potentially wanting to get his own man in, before Eric Ten Hag got hired as Man United manager, um, Ratcliffe as OGC niece owner wanted to hire Ten Hag. Um, so obviously he thinks highly of him. So I don't think... I really think he'll be given. I think he'll be given full backing under Ratcliffe and, yeah. and Dave Brailsford and whoever the director of football they come in is. I I honestly think that they will see him as a, well, I say young but progressive manager who is the right person. And we've spoken about who do you bring in at United, and you know we we've kind of floated the idea of like Deserby, people speaking about Eddie Howe, that sort of thing. But there's not a depth of managers is there that United can go to. So. Um, so, yeah, Laurie, were you going to ask about Jim Ratcliffe, about what the kind of setup was there? Well, he's he's buying a 25% stake in the club. Is that right? Yeah. And from what I've heard, what I've heard is the Glazers, the difficulty with them selling is they don't own 75% or whatever together. There's a few of them, isn't there? And they, own, they all own their own entities. And some of them agree with selling and some of them don't. Am I right in saying that? And that's where this 25% is coming from. So if he wants to bring his own man in, is his 25% the deciding 25% or is it a, a it's got to be a mixture of all of them agreeing I guess they basically from what I've read there'll be a footballing operations board that will be in place which will be like Ratcliffe on it and um this Dave Brailsford who obviously did all the team sky cycling stuff but then Joel great Joel Glazer sits on that board as well who's like the most active of the Glazers within it and I think 25% is a minority stake but I think a bigger share than any one other person has it will be um, a commanding voice in any decisions with that and I think part of his takeover is that he has control of football in operations and there's a chief executive and a director of football that sort of thing that he can bring in which should make those decisions okay well with that in mind like I I get your point to you that he wanted him at Nice um, Ten Hag but that's horses for courses there's the difference between Nice and Man United and Jim Ratcliffe is a very successful businessman who I'm sure has got a ruthless streak so I doubt there'll be any time for thinking well I want him at Nice I'll give him a bit more time I personally don't I don't rate Eric Ten Hag I've said that before and here I don't like his demeanour and the way that he conducts himself as a manager but what I will say is I've seen more and more maybe Man United fans on Twitter back in Ten Hag and just sort of saying Ten Hag in Ten Hag not the problem and sort of giving him a lot of support so yeah, be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, he's not for me, Eric. Was there any when you were at the game against Newcastle? I know you sat in like you stood, sorry, in the yeah. kind of what would be called sort of like the hardcore Man United fans, the singing section. Anything on Ten Hag at all in there? No sort of bad talking no. anymore. No. No. The, the reality, no. of the, the reality of the situation is, is that for the most part of last year, it was positive. Um, towards the end of last season, games games on top of games on top of games caught up with us and we struggled at the end of last season. Um, it seems like, well, we started this season poorly, haven't we? So he's had a bad three months, but you don't just sack a manager after a bad three months, especially when you've got the injury list that we've had to deal with. Um, 
Our manager is he a perfect manager? Absolutely not. Has he made a mistake? A- absolutely. But you can't just change a manager just because he's had a bad three months. I don't think anyway. No, we will see uh, with that, but imperative that he wins on Saturday at home to Luton. Um, just one other game I want to touch on in a little bit of detail, boys, is on Sunday, um, two o'clock, Liverpool hosts Brentford. Brentford are up and down side, but seem like they're quite electric on the counter-attack. Uh, Neil Morpai scored and Bueno's playing well. Liverpool playing Thursday night, uh, dropped the points against Luton. Potentially one there uh, for an upset on Sunday. Tomo, any stats to back that up at all? No. Is it, is it Anfield, yeah? Yeah, is it Anfield? Yeah, no, no. Liverpool have won their two previous Premier League outings against Burnley at Anfield to nil. Um, what about Brentford? Yeah. Did I just say Burnley? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Sorry, lads, Brentford. <laughs> Funny how the mind works, isn't it? But yeah, Brentford. Um, so, yeah, I don't expect Brentford to get any out of that game. And do you know what? I think they've won three out of the last three, haven't they, Brentford? So on a good run, and sometimes those... Those, no disrespect, smaller clubs, when they go on a really good run, um, they almost see these these ones as a bit of a free hit and take their foot off the pedal a bit. So, yeah, I fully expect Liverpool to win there. Unless, of course, they get free injuries and free red cards against Toulouse tonight. I fully expect the scoreline to be 3-2. Which way? Don't know. Okay. Yeah, fine. I, I'm going to tip Brentford to get something there. I think they will win that 2-1. Um, and I think Nunes might miss another sitter as well. And there'll be this whole debate about, is he good enough for Liverpool? That seems to happen every time he misses a chance. And then next week he goes to scores a world. But yeah, I'm going to go Brentford there. A quick roundup of the rest of the fixtures. Uh you won't be shocked to know that half five Newcastle play on Saturday. Uh, they're away at Bournemouth at the Vitality. Uh, Villa host Fulham, Brighton host Sheffield United, Palace host Everton and West Ham host Forest. Obviously, I guess uh, when we have these European midweeks, we've got quite a few teams on Thursday nights, haven't we? So we tend to get a bit more of a packed out agenda on a on a Sunday. Uh, we'll move on to the Championship, boys. Um, first up, I wanted to start with the Pyramid Pod Cup. So Tomo, Southampton host uh, West Brom. Obviously, Southampton left it late last time against Millwall. Um, but playing an informed side in West Brom. Yeah, West Brom have turned a corner a little bit, haven't they? But um, look, we spoke about Southampton, didn't we, on on Monday? Won five out of the last seven. Um, They're at home on Saturday. So I do expect Southampton to get the win and keep the the cup um, at St Mary's. There's just... Russell, like you say, Russell Martin's got him playing... Um, got them t- turned that corner since that four-game losing streak. Um, so, yeah, can't see anything other than the Southampton win. But Carlos Corboran, obviously the West Brom manager, under the school of Bielsa as well for a couple of years, he's a very good uh, tact- tactician and technical manager. And generally when you come up against a team that's got such a set-in-stone philosophy, they'll be countless hours and hours of videos that he'd have watched of Southampton. I think he'll have a very set plan in place about around how to counter that and how to try and get a result. Um, I don't think there's going to be too many surprises with Southampton is what I'm saying. Like He'll know exactly what he's coming up against and sometimes that makes it easier to prepare for. Now, a lot of the time, Southampton are just better than the opposition anyway and they will win more games than they lose. But West Brom are in good form at the moment. And they've got a good manager who I think will have the wits about him to be able to exploit it. So I expect a good game. And I don't think that would be easy for, for Southampton. It wouldn't surprise me if West Brom got something there. And I think three to one is a bit high, really, for them. Yeah, it's fourth v fifth that as well. Um, West Brom only conceded 15 goals in their 15 games as well. So they're obviously a difficult side to play. We spoke on a previous pod, didn't we? We went through their side and some of the names that they've still got in their squad. So, uh, yeah, be interested to uh, to see that. But importantly for Southampton... If they do uh, draw the game, then they will retain the cup. So, yeah, odds in their favour to retain it. But wouldn't be surprised if West Brom went and got a result there. Um, Next game to talk about, boys, Middlesbrough versus Leicester. So, Leicester obviously uh, lost against Leeds. We spoke that if Leeds did get a result, hopefully that would be the start of a bit of a rock for Leicester. And they go away to Middlesbrough. Um, Middlesbrough had picked up form, but they did lose 2-0 at home to Stoke. And then obviously had that 3-0 draw with, uh, with Plymouth there. Um, Laurie, do you eye that as a fixture potentially for Leicester to drop some points away at Borough? 
I hope so. This is the the exact time we need that bad run of form for Leicester to set in, even if it's just a, a draw, couple couple draws and a loss or whatever. If they if they just go and smash Middlesbrough now, that'll be the biggest sign yet. I think that they're going to win the league. They can just bounce straight back. But I think that if you've just lost at home to Leeds, and there's one place you don't want to go in the Championship, it's probably somewhere like Middlesbrough who are obviously a very well-coached side. Okay, they haven't won their last two, but before that, I think they've won five in a row. And, uh, you know, they'll be they'll be right up for it at the Riverside because obviously it's a big game when the league leaders come to town. So desperately hoping Middlesbrough can do something and pick up three points. Desperately hoping the rot sets in a, bit, a little bit for Leicester, but I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to count... Uh, Count my uh, count my chickens on that one because Leicester have just got so much quality that um, they're going to be difficult on any given day for any team to do anything against. Yeah, my prediction with that game is a, is a draw. I just um, just had a look at the head to head record, and albeit they haven't played each other since 2017, so take this all with a pinch of salt. But um, Leicester are Middlesbrough's bogey team. They haven't they haven't won against Leicester in the last 14 years. Uh, sorry not 14 years, the 14 fixtures. They haven't lost, um, they haven't won against um, Leicester since 2002. And that's 14 fixtures. Okay. Yeah, so so they haven't got a good record against them, but they are at home. They are playing well under Carrick. And I think just the draw seems like that'll be a good point after last week's um, defeat um, to Leeds for Leicester um, to, to sort of keep the momentum or to get the momentum back up and running um, for the next run of fixtures. But importantly, it would still be a great result for Leeds uh, and the other teams around that if they do drop even two points, because a draw, you know, they're still dropping two points if Leeds can beat Plymouth at home. So, Lauro, bring you in on that one. Um, obviously, great result against Leicester. Plymouth aside, who tend to score goals, but can see goals as well. And Leeds look electric going forward. So do you fancy a bit of a goal fest in that one? Yeah, exactly that. I think we'll be too strong for Plymouth just because we, the quality of I've just talked about the quality of Leicester. Leeds have got some real good quality combined with the very you know well coached sort of basics of football that Daniel Farker's implemented, and we're we're a force to be reckoned with. So I fancy Leeds to win, but I've got a bit of a soft spot for Plymouth. I like the way that they play, they go about things. I think their manager's done as good a job at Plymouth as anyone has in English football over the last sort of twelve to eighteen months. So um, I'm sure it'll be a good game. They've got some threats going forward with Thomas Mann, Forrest Whitaker, and uh, they've got a, a, a lad up front called Bundu as well, who's a right handful. He's got a really good backstory that maybe we'll talk about in another pod one day. But um, yeah, plenty of character in that Plymouth side, and I think it would be a good game. Wouldn't surprise me if it's like four two five three something like that. But I do. I do see Leeds coming out on top and hopefully cementing that win against Leicester with another three points and maybe closing the gap a little bit more. Good stuff. Um, and then Tomo Sunderland versus Birmingham, two sides we've spoken about um, at length in the, the pod there. Um, you obviously nearly predicted a Birmingham win against Ipswich, but Ipswich uh, fought back twice, but not a particularly easy-looking fixture for Rooney going to stadium and like to take on Sunderland. No, it's not. And I've just had a look at um, Sunderland's last result. They drew nil-nil um, to Swansea, but Swansea were playing with 10 men for 60 minutes. So um, you, you would have expected them to win that game. But thing is with Sunderland, they've got the best player in the league, Jack Clark. So if he turns up, they'll just win that game. Um, so, yeah, but but like Rooney, go on, what's, go on, Laura, go on, shake your head. No, nothing. I think, I think it's a... A huge shout to say Jack Clark's the best player in the league. He's having a very good season, but whether he, you know, win, lose or draws directly in his hands, and he's a sort of godlike level in the championship, I think is a little bit far fetched. But uh, <laughs> no, carry on. I know you've got admiration for the man. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, Rooney, he needs a win, doesn't he? Or like it was a positive. It was definitely a positive result against um, Ipswich. We've spoke about that on Monday's pod, but. Um, Obviously, if you like, you say Murphy. When it comes to draws, if you follow it up with a defeat, then the pressure builds, um, and obviously the pressure is already on them anyway after those first three defeats. So, yeah, interesting fixture. Um, I can't call it to be honest, mate. I can't call it. No, two teams bang out of form. Actually, four points from their last five games. Uh, Sunderland only won one of their last five. Rooney obviously yet to get a victory. So both sides will be desperate for a, a win there, but. Crikey, Birmingham are starting to slip down through that table now. They're down to 15th. 
Um, and they're only sort of four points off 20th, 21st. So it's looking awful for Rooney, as we all predicted. Um, and then just one other fixture, actually, side that I think alongside Leeds, the top of the form table um, in the league, Blackburn, they take on Preston on Friday night football. Um, I think that's a game that is goals. Um, if I had to tell you what to bet, I'd say the safest option's thrill. Um, yeah, but uh, is that a Lancashire derby or Blackburn Preston? Yeah. I guess it must be yeah. all around that way. But yeah, Blackburn are absolutely flying at the minute form-wise. Um, I hadn't noticed how well they were doing, if honest. But um, yeah, Friday night football there, if people are looking for their... Oh, and if you want to bet on that game as well for goal scorer, that's Sammy Schmodix, um, <laughs> top goal scorer in, in the championship. He's scoring every single week at the minute. <laughs> I'd like to see his odds for that. <laughs> And Harry Kane to notch four by Munich at the weekend is also good odds. <laughs> but Yondel yeah. Thomas, the Blackburn manager, um, obviously a young manager who's been given an opportunity at Blackburn last season, just missed out of the playoffs. Sticky start to this season, but they've stuck with him, stuck with him. And now maybe they're going to start seeing the fruits of their labour, obviously in good form. So if they can, um, you know, fire one up into the, the playoff places, then... It, it showed another another sort of pat on the shoulder for longevity with the manager and sticking with him. But he was very pleased after their Norwich win the other day. Uh, by the way, I think the Norwich manager's about to be sacked in um, in Wagner. I think he's had his time in football. But yeah, Blackburn going well. Yondel Thomason um, at the helm. And uh, yeah, repaying the loyalty that the board have shown in him. Albeit only maybe for 24 hours, if Blackburn do win, Tomorrow against Preston, they will leapfrog them and go up into sixth. Um, obviously, Cardiff, Sunderland, Hull beneath them will have a chance to, to regain those spots. But uh, yeah, they're going in the right direction. Preston had a one in seven, but beat Coventry 3-2 last weekend. Um, so they'll obviously be looking to continue that. But uh, that should be a, a decent game tomorrow night. Boys, we move on to League One. So uh, Portsmouth versus Charlton. Portsmouth, obviously, top of the league. Uh, they did lose in the FA Cup, though, um, against uh, Chesterfield. Uh, and Charlton have got the joint top goal scorer alongside Devontae Carl, Alfie May, uh, for that one. So, looks like a home victory on paper, but potentially um, uh, a bit of an upset there for Charlton if Alfie May can grab a couple goals. Second place, Oxford, go to Leighton Orient. Um, they've lost their manager, obviously, he's gone to Bristol City. I think we were talking about the potential opportunity of that on the last last pod but that has now happened Laura who's looking likely to be next manager there at Oxford and anyone you fancy for that well I think a very very good appointment would be someone like John Eustace who Oxford uh, who Birmingham got rid of and no one else has gone for at the moment Millwall haven't gone for him QPR haven't gone for him um, Bristol City haven't gone for him but we spoke on the last pod about some of these big former Premier League players um, that want to get into management and League One might be a good place to do it. Frank Lampard's the bookie's favourite at the moment. John Terry's another name that we spoke about last time that's in a similar position looking for a managerial appointment. I think that's the perfect club to do it at because they're not a huge name, Oxford, but they've got very good players. They're second in the league. They've got an attractive brand of football. They're a, a squad full of confidence and they're a team that I think are on the way to doing good things this season. And if you go in there and the rec and get them promoted, your record says you got Oxford promoted from League One. That looks really, really good. Whereas if you go to Derby, you have to get them promoted from League One and people expect it. So I think that would be a brilliant, brilliant place to go for someone like John Terry or even Frank Lampard's favourite. I mean, I'd be surprised if Frank Lampard... I mean, what a weird career path he's had. If he ends up at Oxford, that would be unbelievable every which way you look at it. But still would be quite a good place to go, I think. You know, you spoke about JT's... Um that interview he did um, about the, the League One. Yeah, the League One managers, etc. That was the... He did that on the John, John Obi McHale podcast. And um, he actually said that after not getting those jobs in League One, he's called it a day, basically, even applying. Oh, is he? Yeah, he said that he's he's had enough of it. And he, and he also sort of revealed that he'll be taking a consultancy role in Saudi. And... Um, right. So, yeah, JT, maybe, maybe not, but Frank Lampard, definitely. Well, maybe not built with the right stuff to be a manager there because you've got to tackle adversity and being let down and poor outcomes a lot with a lot more um, courage and a lot more um, persistence than that. 
So I wouldn't want someone like JT that's jumping at the first hurdle of missing out on a couple of League One interviews to jump to Saudi for money, being the manager of my club. So maybe that's the best thing all round. I wish John all the best out in the Middle East. And um, I'm sure his bank account will look very healthy. What a horrendous, horrendous statement from John, that is. Just go on to John Ovi Mikhail's podcast and say, I can't be dealing with rejection of League One as if he's too big a name. And yeah, so well, we'll look, it. out of context, yeah. But he said, he said that he went for lots of interviews in the Premier League, the Championship. Um, he thought the championship would be his level, but then he went to a couple in League One and obviously didn't get any of them and he just thought, nah, this ain't for me. We're in a world I mean, where managers who consistently get sacked go on to get other jobs. If John can't get one over the line, then I think he needs to work on his interview skills. Yeah, me too. Um, I have nothing more said on it. Uh, a couple of other fixtures in League One, boys. Bolton take on Blackpool, uh, third place versus eighth place. So interesting looking game there. Uh, Derby versus Barnsley, that's seventh versus fifth. Um, touched on uh, Devontae Cole there being top goal scorer in the league, but uh, yeah, obviously we uh, we do like Derby on the uh, on the pod, but they'll be looking to continue a little bit of form that they're picking up in the league um, after beating Northampton four 0 um, to win that, and then just a little one as well, Cheltenham versus Wigan. Um, Wigan are actually second in the form table now. They're 17th, but would be seventh without that eight-point deduction. So they'd be having a firm look at the playoffs. So I think a side that started well, and we spoke, is it Maloney in charge there, Laurie? We spoke in the early pods that he was flying. Their form's then dropped, but it's picked right up now and, as I say, second in that form table. So they're slowly moving up through that table. If he somehow gets playoffs and seeks promotion with them with an eight-point deduction, what a uh, feather in the cap for, for him that will be. Yeah, it will be. And it probably wasn't an easy decision to stick with Sean Maloney because we're going to quite a big football club. And I don't think he's a name that you probably has done enough to warrant being given the, the chance to lead Wigan back to the championship. And especially with the points deduction, you probably wouldn't have seen him as the name um, that was going to gain you promotion. But what are they, nine points? Yeah, they're nine points off the playoffs at the moment. That's nothing, is it? You can have three games in one week in the championship, and that team in sixth place is Stevenage at the moment. So, if they win, then you know if they win four or five of their of their next six or seven, they're going to be right up there. Um, but at the same time, they are one of the biggest clubs in that league, and they've got some of the best players. So you you would have you, you know you definitely would have expected them to get out of trouble with that points deduction. If they can get to the playoffs and do something in that, then yes, that would be a very very good season. And just on Derby, I mean, I I didn't know they were in good form. They seem to every single time I look at them, they lose. No, but they they're three points off the playoffs. So yeah, they they tend to be like a win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Um, they're unbeaten in their last three, but I did I hadn't realised that that was FA Cup and the um Papa John's Trophy. So I'm not sure beating Wolves under twenty ones four one and yes, last night's going to be uh too much of a morale booster. But uh, yeah, they that seems to be Derby. It's like win and Paul Warren's doing well, lose and suddenly is it time for change? But um. Yeah, if they can if they can somehow uh, beat Barnsley, then um, they'll they'll probably be right in amongst it again. Well, let's move on to League Two quickly. Um, so top of the table, Stockport go to Swindon. Um, Swindon lost seven four in the FA Cup to Oldershot and Stockport are twelve in a row. Um, maybe revisit Stockport uh, in the Pyramid Pod treble. Um, maybe get playing my hands a little bit early there, but they're above evens to win at Swindon, which I think is just phenomenal odds for them. Um, and their good form just continues. I say 12 in a row. Is that the same as Yeovil now, Loro? 12 in a row? Stockport and Yeovil tracking on the same? Yeah. I mean, Yeovil's 12 in a row is eight in the league and four in the cup. I don't know what Stockport's are, but we've spoken about Stockport at length, haven't we? The manager yeah. only ever gets promoted or gets to play a final. So I think they might as well pay out on Stockport already. Yeah. I mean, say that, and I think I've touched on this on a previous pod as well, is that they are absolutely flying, one twelve in a row, but they're still only five points ahead of Notts County and Wrexham. So suddenly slip up against Swindon and Notts County got some difficult fixtures themselves um, and Wrexham, but it's back to two points. And you've got Mansfield and Crew then, who are only one point behind them. So Stockport are absolutely flying, win every week, but still only just kind of keeping people at arm's length, which is testament to League Two. Um so just on that, so just touched on Crew and Notts County. Notts County go to Crew at the weekend. Only one point difference in that fifth versus second. That's an absolute mammoth game. And Notts County have just dropped a little bit of form themselves. Lost in the, again in the EFL Trophy in the week, but lost to Wrexham before that. 
um, and lost 4-1 against Mansfield not that long ago. So their form's just starting to drop off and crew just seem to keep chipping away. Um, do you know much about Crew's manager, Laurie? What who's in charge there and what kind of what they're doing? No, not at all. Couldn't tell you anything about Crew. I can't believe they're fifth in the league. Um, what I can tell you is though that Notts County have run into a lot of injuries, um, and they've actually signed Dan Goslin this week, who was at Watford maybe most recently. And uh, although he's like probably early to mid thirties now, seems like a cracking player for League Two, just to slot into the central midfield. Um, but yeah, lots of injuries. I think that they've got particularly in midfield, and they've obviously pounced with what I think was probably the best free agent on the market in Dan Goslin, and we'll see how he goes in League Two, because it seems like League Two is just as good as League One at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Lee Bell is the crew manager, guided them to 13th place at the end of last season on an interim uh, interim basis, got made permanent, and now has them up in the playoffs and one point off uh, Notts County and Wrexham. So, yeah, I'll do a bit of research on you, Lee, and good luck to you. All the best, Lee. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tomo, Wrexham versus Gillingham, uh, third versus ninth. Obviously, Wrexham went and um, beat Notts County uh, recently, but Gillingham in ninth place, their form's just dropped a bit. Um, did you see Paul Mullen getting a happy birthday message from Ryan Reynolds? Bit of a mad world that they're in, isn't it? Yeah, but basically Mullen, Mullen's the face of the uh, of the playing side of things, isn't he? And he's we spoke about his injury at the start of the season. He's fully back now and I, every time I look at their their result, he's he's bagged a goal. I think he's scored in his last couple. Um, don't expect much else than a that a Wrexham win there. Um, not really much insight to give apart from that. Yeah, I'm. We're going to come in I there, mean, right? Well, I, I just was going to pick up um, on the insight that Tigo did offer there that. Um... Mullen seems to score every week. He's not in the top 22 scorers in League 2 at the moment. And in 22nd place is Mo Isra at MK Dons with five goals. So I actually would Mullen, say he needs Mullen, to pick up a little bit. Mullen's been injured for the first two months of the season. Yeah. So, but we're now in the fourth month of the, the season. I would expect more than four goals from someone on 15 grand a week in League 2. <laughs> well, hopefully he can score against... Uh against Gillingham at the weekend. I hope they do keep pace then and Notts County and Stockport because um, that will be an interesting battle in the second half of the season. A couple other fixtures, boys. Mansfield still unbeaten in the league but have lost their last three cup game fixtures. Uh, they go to Salford uh, and then Bradford host Barrow. Um, Graham Alexander obviously in charge there. Spoke about him last time out. Um, that's his, his league debut for Bradford but uh, Barrow in eighth place so not necessarily a particularly easy one for, for them there. Uh, Laura touched on Stockport 12 in a row and Yeovil keeping pace with that. Um, you went down to Torquay midweek um, and Yeovil got all three again, just a bit on their display there. Well, the big thing about that game is that prior to the Torquay were favourites for the National League South this season. So, and we were second favourites. So obviously they were seen as our biggest rivals and they should, you know, in terms of budget and the players that they've got, rightly so. Um, but their fans aren't, haven't been very happy with Gary Johnson because they're, I mean, they're currently in eighth in the table and they definitely shouldn't be in outside of the top three or four in the league. But it was just another example of just how good um, Yeovil are and another example of how well Mark Cooper's managing the situation. He made an, another change um, to what you'd expect from our starting eleven on Tuesday. This time, Sonny Cox, a striker that we've got on loan from Exeter, came in and played on the left. And he assisted a goal and was a nightmare for the 65 to 70 minutes he was on the pitch. And it, everything he does at the moment just seems to pay off. The man of the match for us was Sonny Blulow Everton, formerly of Derby, formerly of us. We had him on loan a couple of years ago when he was just a kid. Um, unbelievable. Again, another tinker to the team. He was nowhere to be seen out of the squad. And then he's just started him for the last three games. Obviously, we've won all of them and he's been um, the best player culminating in Tuesday night being man of the match. So, I don't know what more to say, but what I will say is you just touched on Stockport 12 in a row, but one slip up and they'll be caught. Yeovil already three points clear at the top. I mean, how mad is that? We've just won 12 games in a row and Averley are three points behind us. That's football for you. There's always someone else breathing down your neck. So particularly at this stage of the season, you don't you don't tend to open up 
gaps like Leicester have in the championship. So still can't rest on our, our laurels, Yeovil, but I'm actually quite glad that there is someone within three points of us because hopefully that makes sure we're not complacent. And Yeovil have got Dover at home on Saturday this week, who are, I think, 23rd or 22nd. Yeah, 23rd. Just so on, looks um, like... just on someone breathing down your neck, Loro, um, Mullins scored four in his last five. <laughs> You took that personally, didn't you? Oh, well, what's, what's he come for me like that? <laughs> I've come for you. I've come for you, Tiga, because four in his last five is also four in his last 16. We can all mess around <laughs> with the statistics to make it make sense. If you're Paul Mullen at Wrexham, I don't care if you had a punctured lung for the first month. You need oh. to be in the top 22 league yeah, scorers. Yeah. But what did I say? I said he's well, come back to form, come back to fitness, and he's he seems to be scoring every week lately. And he scored four in his last five. So I'll I'm have to, we'll have to go to VAR to see if lately was in that or if it was he scores every Yeah, week. I I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to uh, run that one back, I'm afraid to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I mean just on Dover Laurie, first versus twenty-third, uh home team twelve in a row, absolutely flying. It really doesn't get much more of a home banker than that. So much that sometimes you see it slip up. So hopefully Yoga yeah. could not get complacent. Yeah, hopefully not. But this Yeovil team just seems to be dealing with everything at the moment. You know, whether it's the conditions in a local derby against Weymouth, whether it's going down to 10 men at Hampton and Richmond, whether it's suspensions. One thing we have been quite lucky with is injuries. Do you know what I mean? Normally you have a good squad and you expect to have to use everyone. The only way we're using everyone at the moment is if Mark Cooper fancies tinkering with it. Because I'm pretty sure pretty much everyone in the squad is fit. And, you know, we're starting games and people like Josh Staunton, who's an absolute club stalwart and the one player everyone wanted to keep at the, the end of last season, can't get in the squad. Same with Jordan Maguire-Drew. He'd get in any team in the National League South and most teams in the National League. Um, his son, Charlie Cooper, hadn't seen him in six weeks. So, you know, lots and lots of options. And the, the, the players that don't get in the starting 11 for Yeovil would form the best team in the National League South outside of Yeovil. And that's one of the key reasons we're going to be up there. Um, but we've had 10 years of negativity and losing every week. We deserve this. Yeah, indeed, we do. Um, boys, we'll finish up with the uh, Pyramid Pod treble still hunting its first win. Um, I kind of alluded to what I'm going to go for. Uh, Stockport, one twelve in a row away at Swindon, who lost 7-4 against Oldershot in the Cup. A shade above evens at twenty-one to twenty. Think that's phenomenal value. Um, so that's my pick. Tomo, uh, I'm just having a look now, mate. Go to go to CL first. Laurie, got your side. Yeah, I'm going to go for Bradford. I think they're going to have the manager bounce under Graham Alexander. The home to Barrow. I know Barrow a good side this season, but just on paper, I think above evens at Valley Parade honeymoon period. I would expect to be seeing three points to Bradford's name come six o'clock Saturday night. Good stuff. That is the double in place. That's at three and a half to one. Tomo, you got a bit of an outsider like Birmingham last week? Um, I was just going to go for Bolton at home to Blackpool. I know they're quite close in the league together, but Bolton's won four of the last five games in all competitions. So, um, And they're at home. So, And it's 11 to 10. Yeah, above evens there is lovely as well. Right, 8.26 to 1 on Skybet. Obviously, other bookmakers available, but £10 on returns, 92 quid. Let's get the treble off to, well, not a winning start. We've done it for about six weeks, but let's get it off the mark, get some money in the coffers. <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, we'll be back on Monday. Boys are out of uh, time there. We'll obviously reflect on all of the uh, weekend's action um, and results and have a little look about the international break uh, upcoming. But pleasure as always. Speak to you all soon. Cheers, boys. One, well done. Two, three.